excited about what God's doing at Prestonwood Christian Academy, and just to report to you how well things are going, we even have a biblical worldview plan for our PE classes. So our kindergartners who go to PE do so and learn physical education from a biblical worldview. So that shows you that we're winning. We've still got work to do, but thank you all so much for your prayers. I am so excited because today the Lord has given us a wonderful passage in our series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And to set it up, I want to share this story. Every now and then, someone wins the internet. Have you noticed that? And this week, I noticed that a wonderful man, Rob Kinney, absolutely took the internet by storm. He's winning the internet. Rob Kinney is interesting because he's been called the dad of the internet. In fact, he's adopted everyone who perhaps didn't have a great experience with their own dad. He started a YouTube channel recently that has grown to over 5 million subscribers on YouTube, and the name of the channel is simple. It's Dad, How Do I? And Rob goes on, and friends, I hate texting people with a green text. Anybody out there like that? If the text goes green, I can't text, talk to you anymore. But he, he actually does green text. He uses an Android to take his videos. They're not produced. He's not pushing for subscribers, not that that's bad. He just simply pulls out his Android phone and does videos for kids who don't have a dad. Rob's story is interesting. What many may not realize is that his own father abandoned him and his siblings when he was just 14 years of age. When he was 14, his mom was an addict, and his dad sat down with, with Rob and his siblings and said, I'm done being your dad, I'm out. And he was raised by others. And he ended up getting married. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. In fact, interviewed very recently on a national program, he said the most important thing every day that he does is read the Scripture every morning. That grounds him. But after being married and working in sales and raising a boy and a girl to love the Lord, he felt like God was calling him to do something more. And that's when he started this wonderful YouTube channel, Dad, How Do I? This is his number one video. Notice 2.3 million views, and it's simply, Dad, How Do I Tie a Tie? And people marvel at it. Um, and he said, you know, I could have rejected being a dad. I used to look down on Father's Day until I realized that my own dad was not a reflection of my heavenly father. He didn't allow, um, and he also talks about how people will come to him and say, you know, <laughs> I want you to be my dad, because he's just ministered through these simple how to, how to fix your toilet, how to change a tire. There's a simplicity to it. There's a real factor. There's an authenticity to this man. Um, nothing overly produced, and it's just simple, what I love to call now dad vice. Anybody good at dad vice out there? I am. Dad vice. And you know, it's, it's a picture of the power of authenticity in our lives. In fact, Rob's daughter said, I genuinely think that my dad was put on this earth to do nothing more than just be a dad. He didn't allow what happened to him in the past to define him. It's interesting, Rob made this point recently and why I clued in for our message today. He said, I minister to a lot of people and I realize that they may be rejecting religious people when they don't follow God, 
instead of thinking, is God really like that? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have a, a lot of allergies, thank God, but I do get an allergic reaction to fake Christianity. How about you? I mean, it causes an allergic reaction to me when I see uh, a faith that is not real, that's not authentic. If those of you that know a little bit about my testimony, I had this, I've shared it here at Prestonwood many times. I was disillusioned by air quote Christians as a freshman at a major Christian university and decided one day I didn't want to be a Christian anymore if that's what Christianity is. And my mom taught me that beautiful verse, Hebrews 12 2, let us fix our eyes on who? On Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, it helps us get our eyes off people that are insincere in their walk with God. But Jesus had an allergic reaction to fake Christianity as well. He didn't like it. In fact, Jesus' most fierce words recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not to the sinners per se. They were for the religious hypocrites, the people that said one thing with their lips and lived a very different way in their own life. His fiercest words were for their hypocrisy, and their self-righteousness. And yet, by contrast, as we have studied in this series, Jesus' words were the balm of Gilead for people that society had marginalized. Jesus said more positive things about the sinners, the publicans. Remember, he was called Jesus' friend of who? Sinners, than he ever did about the religious elite. I think about Jesus, and we're in the Gospel of Luke this morning. We remember these stories of real redemption. You think about the prodigal son. The only thing good about the prodigal was his repentance, and yet Jesus honored him for his repentance. You think about that story in Luke 7 of the sinful woman. Do you see this woman? Though her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And Simon, the religious leader, just didn't get it. I think about, of course, the Good Samaritan, these great parables. And so as we together this morning open up Luke chapter 18, I would encourage you to do so in the copy of God's Word that you have. And let me also encourage you, church family, we have many visitors here who have never actually opened a Bible before, and we want to welcome them. We're happy that you're here. And so if you've never opened a Bible before, we actually provide one for you. Pick up that translation of the Bible. It's right in the pew in front of you. And if you turn to page 877, you'll find Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I want to encourage you to follow along. This may be the first time you've ever opened a Bible. That's great. And I applaud you for it. Just go to page 877. But this thing about being inauthentic, being uh, lacking a sincerity and lacking genuineness in our faith is affecting a lot of people. It's interesting to me, I read an article, I try to read the Wall Street Journal on a daily basis, and this week the Wall Street Journal featured an article, I shared it with some of my friends, and it said this headline, why middle-aged Americans aren't, are not going back to church. There's the headline right there. And it's fascinating because the highest demographic of parents today, and this obviously gets my attention as someone that cares about education, the highest demographic of parents are Gen X. Any Gen Xers out there, raise your hand if you're a Gen X. That would be late 30s to early 50s. We've got a lot, church full of them, parents full of them. 
Church attendance, according to Gallup, has been declining for decades across different generations. But listen to what the Wall Street Journal quoted this week. No generation endured greater spiritual turbulence in the last three years than Generation X during the pandemic. The percentage of people ages 39 to 57 who attend a worship service during the week, either in person or online, get this, has fallen 13 points since 2020 to where now just 28%, or about a quarter of the parents that we're ministering to right now, attend church with any regularity. The reason the Wall Street Journal cited more than the busyness of life and living and working eight days a week and raising family and taking care of our parents, more than anything else, it was a lack of authenticity, a disillusionment with Christianity that fell short of changing one's life and stopped at the neckline. And again, that got my attention. In our text today, Jesus also warns us against the damage of self-righteous fake religion and the damage that self-righteous religion can do in other people's lives. Will you open up your Bibles again and look at Luke 18, verses 9 through 14 with me? It's a short parable. It's a story. Verse 9, and he spoke this parable. Notice who his audience is. To some who trust in themselves that they were righteous and they despise others. Jesus goes on, two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So we have the polar opposites of Jewish society, the best to the worst in some people's minds. The Pharisee stands up to pray and said thus with himself, God, now I want you to count how many times he uses the word I in this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 13, and the tax collector, notice his body language, standing far away would not so much as even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, that's the seat of the heart. And he prayed seven words that if you pray these seven words today, it'll change your life. Are you ready to hear them? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Can we say those seven words out loud together as a church family? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, verse 14 are some of the most comforting words that Jesus ever spoke. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. What a powerful parable for us to study. And there's really, there's two emphasis that Jesus wants us to pick up from this teaching. And I hope that you're taking notes and that you'll decide to pass this legacy of faith on, even if it's just your own family or community or friends. There are really two purposes. And I like to understand what's the aim here and what are the immediate next steps which we'll end on. 
Number one, Jesus is offering us an illustration of the correct attitude that all of us should always have when we approach God. You know, the majority of the world is not atheist. Are you aware of that, church family? The majority of the world believes in some kind of deity or deities. And you can travel the world and see the gyrations, the manipulations, the effort that many go to to try and approach God. Audrey and I have seen this at Buddhist temples where you have to clap and do a superstitious thing before you throw it in. We've seen it with the whirling dervishes in Konya, Turkey, who work it up to meet with Allah. We've seen it in different areas probably like you have. How do I approach God? Jesus is giving us a beautiful illustration of the right way to approach God. And it's so simple. It's like the dad vice video. It's so simple. It's profound and many miss it. Number two, Luke wants, uh, Luke wants us to know that Jesus is warning us as well. So it's an illustration, but write this down. It's a warning to us as believers. God wants us to constantly examine our own hearts, to ask ourselves, are we guilty of the same hypocrisy that this Pharisee was identified with? And so it's meant for us to search ourselves to find ourselves in the story, am I being the Pharisee or am I approaching God as the publican? Now, I realize some of you, this is brand new, and so it's so fun as a Bible teacher to bring you along by the hand. I want to show you a picture of what the temple would have looked like in Jesus' day. Now, Herod expanded the temple. It actually wasn't done until after Jesus was crucified in AD 64, well after Herod the Great's death. But this is the Temple Mount. By the way, how many of you have been to the land of Israel? Raise your hand if you've been to the land of Israel. Excellent. So you can see this in your mind's eye. It's 36 acres. That's the Temple Mount complex. Let's go in a little bit closer so you can see where the prayer is occurring in Luke chapter 9. Do you see this? And by the way, we have in, we've included an American football field because we all need sports to help us understand truth, right? You can actually see that it's shorter and, or excuse me, it's longer and wider, the actual temple complex, um, than an actual football field. So make sure you think that, you know, we're looking at something about a football field and a half in length. Do you see the Israelites' court right in the middle? Do you see that? Um, it's right outside the priest's courtyard, the slaughter tables. That's the Israelites' courtyard. And if you were a man, you could enter that area. And according to the book of Acts, in fact, I have the passages here for you. According to the book of Acts, it would be Acts chapter 2.15, that the prayers were made twice a day, one at 9 a.m. and one at 3 p.m. So at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every day, Jewish men would enter the court of Israel to pray. Now, you could go any time to pray, but those would have been the times that it was heaving with people. So let us suppose that either 9 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon, this Pharisee stands to pray. Now, it's interesting, those of you that know anything about Jewish prayers, the most famous Jewish prayer of all, and we actually hear echoes of it on the Chosen program, is the Amidah. And do you know what Amidah means in Hebrew? It just simply means standing, to stand to pray. And this Pharisee takes a prominent position in the court of Israelites. Because it's the size of a football field, we should imagine there are hundreds around him. And he begins to pray. 
And this is where the story takes over, and I see some immediate applications. I've given you the purpose, and now let's look at the immediate application. There are three things that I see in this very short text. And there are three ways to detect self-righteousness in my own heart and in the heart of others. Number one, God is lucky to have me. (laughs) Pride. I'm so glad, God, I am me. (laughs) Do you see how the Pharisee prays? He stood to pray aloud. He stood in a prominent location. And he said, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, and especially that tax collector right over there. How many times did the, did the man use the word I? Did we count? Five. Thirty-three words of his prayer, five of them were the word I. After his opening word, it's fascinating to me, he actually doesn't refer to God again in his prayer. It's really a prayer to himself. It's a self-eulogy. We get the Greek word uh, eulogy actually is the word we get uh, the English eulogy. It means to bless, to speak well of another. He begins to bless himself in his own prayer. One thinker said he glances at God in prayer, but he contemplates himself. And how many times have we seen this in religion? Religion that doesn't bring us closer to God, but puffs up ourselves. And yet we see an interesting, in my mind, a remarkable contrast. One of the neatest Bible studies that I've personally done, I would just pass this on to you, study the prayers of the Bible. Like there's a great book that you can get by Herbert Lockyer called All the Prayers of the Bible. There's around 600 and I think 56 prayers in the scripture. Did you know the majority of them are very short? Amen? They're short. Remember what the great preacher Charles Spurgeon would say? He would start praying against people that prayed long public prayers, especially before mealtime. <laughs> the majority of the prayers are pithy, to the point. God, I need you. God, help me. Where are you, Lord? God, are you dead? That's a prayer of Habakkuk. Lord, meet me in this lion's den. Not long. It reminds me of the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't pray like the babblers who think that God will hear them for their many words, your father knows what you need even before you ask. Look at the contrast with the tax collector. Notice his physical stance. I have a feeling that if we go back in our mind's eye to that court of Israel, maybe he was just stepping in, but he came. He's in that court of men, he's just barely there. And even though the Amidah to pray is standing, he's hunched over. He can't think of anyone else around him. He's overwhelmed by his own sin. He's overwhelmed indeed by his own need of grace. He can't even look to heaven. Instead, he carries this burden of sin in his heart, and he says seven words that change his life. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a contrast. It reminds me, too, of the lepers. We've talked about the lepers in Luke 17. Even they stood at a distance. There is a humility to approach God. Even apart from his prayer, his humble demeanor, he sought forgiveness. So pride, and we have to search ourselves constantly for pride. Number two, 
how can we cite and find self-righteousness in our own life and religious hypocrisy in the lives of others? Now, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I, I was listening to a phenomenal commencement address. I enjoy listening to commencement addresses. And there was one this year at Northwestern, and I'll quote the beginning of it. If you want to be successful in this world, you have to develop your own idiot detection system. The best way to spot an idiot, look for the person who is cruel. I look back at verse 8, 18, verse 11 with me. Notice how the tax collector, his religion has made him cruel. Thank you, God, that I am not like these other people, this extortioners, the unjust, this adulterer, even this tax collector. He saw in himself, he didn't need God for anything. He was just fine on his own to overcome those things. Jesus is giving us a very important lesson. He is showing us the damage that religion can do when you use religion in the name of God to look down on somebody else. There was no thanks from this Pharisee, just a long list of personal achievements. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. You remember Paul, who had a PhD in Judaism. Um, he's giving his, his credentials. He's talking about, if anyone can boast, I can. But he said, I don't boast in any of those. I count those, and he uses the word dung. He said, those mean nothing to me because of the grace that I've experienced in Jesus Christ. I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. When we really come to Christ, it makes us humble, amen? When we really come to Christ, it makes us thankful, it makes us overwhelmed with the goodness of God in our own life. We deserve nothing. This is the gospel to us. Ready for the bad news? You are nothing. Here's the good news. We have everything in Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. But so many religious people here and watching online, you may be missing it entirely. You mean, Jeremiah, you could sum up the New Testament theology in seven words? Yes. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I cast myself on your grace again today. I was in C.S. Lewis's home a few weeks ago, and I was reminded about what Jack said to his friends. Every day we wake up, we have to rewrap ourselves in the truth of trusting God anew as if we had never believed it the day before. We preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And you know, this is an opportunity. When we think about the cruelty, do you realize that if you just won't be a jerk, people are going to know you're a Christian today? Have you noticed that? I mean, the bar has gotten so low in society that if you'll say please, thank you, and be nice to someone on an airplane when you're traveling, they're going to know you're born again, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know, we need a world that is kind. Doesn't mean we can't be assertive with truth. Hear me out. But we need a world that is loving. That's the kind of world Jesus desires for us. I think about the statistics. I'm so concerned about the lack of friendships, even here in the Dallas metro area. Did you know the latest study shows that one in seven men and one in 10 men, so think about the, an audience of this size, one in seven men and one in 10 men 
have, or excuse me, one in seven men, one in ten women have no close friends. And you know, I'm not surprised. We have a loneliness epidemic. In spite of all the connections that we have in society, we have the most lonely people of all time. And that's why I'm in a life group here at Prestonwood Baptist Church. Do you know I love doing life with you people? I love being friends with you. That's why when I come to church, it's not a spectator sport for me. Do you know what my family plan is for my kids to pass on a legacy of faith? Prestonwood Baptist Church. Here eight days a week as much as possible. That's my family plan. And friends, I can't do it alone. I can't believe in isolation. Audrey, is, I married a superhero. Even she can't do it alone. We need each other. And I saw that evidence this, this year um, at family camp. Have you all heard of Christian family camps before? I had not heard of them actually until I spoke at one a few years ago. But this year, Audrey and I had the opportunity to go with members of our life group to Sky Ranch Family Camp in Ute Trail, Colorado. And I want to tell you the opportunity to pray together, to love on each other. You know, I get teared up. I dad cry when I think about the huddle we made with the rocking chairs every day as a family to do our family devotions. Doing life together, walking in the Lord together. It's a sign of a great community of faith. You know, the church gets bashed a lot today, and I mean the capital C church. But can I just say this to you? If we want to see better churches in America and around the world, we need to be the better church, amen? We need to set the example and the tone. I want to encourage you, be kind. Don't be like the Pharisee. Look at that person and that person and that person. Let me say it another way. If your religion is making you more rigid, that's not Christianity. Did you know that? Guess what Christianity helps us grow in? I pray that you will grow in the what? In the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Humility towards God, compassion towards others. We have two superpowers as followers of Jesus. Do you want to know what those superpowers are? The first superpower that you have as you walk out of here today as a Christian is empathy. And then you have the superpower of compassion. If you will show empathy with others in compassion, those are your superpowers as a Christian. Because the world is not giving that. The world is, you get no second chances, we're going to eat you up and spit you out alive. Be the church. Finally, I see ritualism, don't you? Ritualism. Self-righteousness always poisons grace. Let me know how you, let me encourage you how you know you're living in the grace of God. It was mentioned to me this way recently at an event. We should live like we've won the lottery every single day. That's how you know when you've really experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's lavished his mercy on us, his grace on us, not because of anything we've done. And yet I see a ritualism. Do you see in this passage, let's look at it one more time. I fast twice a week. Stop right there. Where in the Bible does it say you have to fast twice a week? By the way, do you want, can I share a personal story? I grew up going to movies at the Glenwood Movie Theater with my mom and dad. And one day my mom took me to a church, a Sunday school class, 
where the, te- I mean, this scarred me for life, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just going to be very transparent. The Sunday school teacher stood up and he said, no real Christian ever goes to a movie. Well, my mom and I had been to a movie like the night before church, okay? And he said, in fact, when the rapture happens someday, if you're in a movie theater, you're going to be left there. That bothered me for a while until I realized that's ritualism. There is not a scripture about not going into a movie theater. And some of us, we've allowed religion to hold us back from relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, do you know there's only one day a year um, that the Old Testament would encourage observant Jews to fast? And that would happen on the Day of Atonement. And so when the Pharisee reminds God of his ritualism, you know, I I fast twice a week. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've given not only a tithe of all I earn, but all that I possess. I've gone back. I've reconciled the books. And, you know, you can check the record. I'm doing really well for myself. No. He, He thought he had done more than God required. The contrast. I keep saying this. Seven words. This is Christianity, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. When's the last time, you know, there's something unsettling about that prayer, and then there's something reassuring about it. After studying this passage, living it all this week, the first thing I prayed this morning, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's something shockingly instantaneous that happens next, ladies and gentlemen. If this were not in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. And yet it is in Luke 14. Can you imagine Jesus speaking in the court of the Israelites, hundreds around him? He says, I tell you, only one went home justified that day, and it wasn't the Pharisee. Wow. Talk about a rip-snorting sermon that'll preach. The results are instantaneous. Some of you, you might have allowed a bad relationship with a dad to hold you back from your faith. Thank God Rob Kenny didn't do that. Or you've allowed a terrible experience with rigid religion to cause you to think, you know, I don't want to be a part of that. Life is challenging enough. Come to Jesus. Say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He will embrace you instantaneously and pronounce you not only forgiven but justified. You will have a new standing before God as a child of God as if you've never sinned. That is Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, and that fires me up to follow Jesus. How about you? This would have been shocking in the mind of the Pharisees who had reduced Torah to 613 rules that you had to follow in late Second Temple Judaism. Only those who possess false confidence look down on others. You know, there's a wonderful verse. I actually wrote it here in my Bible. My dad taught me this verse when I was going through a difficult time in my life where I was dealing with some sin issues as a teenager. My dad wrote, we were actually on a vacation together and he wrote this in my journal. Psalm 130, if God would mark sin, who could stand? Isn't that a great reminder? If God would mark sin, who could stand? None of us could. We thank God for his grace. So today as we close, let me encourage you to pass on an authentic faith to your family. Not a perfect faith, not a checklist, but a God be merciful to me, a sinner type faith. 
When you understand the gospel, remember, we understand that we are nothing. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus is everything. I want to close with this story. I grew up um, getting Beckett, uh, Beckett baseball card value. And anybody get the Beckett in the mail where you would check the value of your baseball cards? I did it all through the 80s and 90s. And I want to show you a slide of a really valuable baseball card. I loved collecting cards as a kid. This is a 1982 Topps um, Future Stars baseball card. And there are three different names on this card. And don't worry, if you don't follow baseball at all, I'll explain it. It's been valued, and I just pulled this slide this week. It's valued at $600 right now on eBay for a mint condition 1982 Future Stars. Jeff Schneider is on there. He ended up playing one year of professional ball, and he pitched in 11 games total. And don't you know Bobby Bonner, he played for four years and only appeared in 61 games. But then there's the future star in the middle. Played 21 years. He was actually known as the Iron Man before there was an Iron Man in Marvel movies. He passed Lou Gehrig's record of 2,130 games straight played. Came to bat 11,000 times, 3,000 hits, 431 home runs. He batted in 1,700 RBIs. You know what's fascinating to me when I studied this card this week and what stuck out to me? Bobby Bonner in Jeff Schneider's baseball card is worth $600, not because of any of their own baseball accomplishments. Stay with me. They get to share in the value of Cal Ripken Jr. on that card. Is the message getting through? We too share in the value of another. We do not come with our statistics to God. Our worth is not found in ourselves. We look down and we say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We may be good people, we may be well-educated and respected and accomplished. And like Jeff Schneider and Bobby Bonner, we may have great potential. They were future stars after all. But make no mistake, the value was found in another. What are you placing your value in today? I hope it's in Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads and stand with me as we close in a time of invitation and prayer? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving unnecessarily. We couldn't possibly close this service without offering a time of prayer after studying these two prayers in the Scripture. The Scripture is very clear that we come to God by grace through faith. And today we've heard in this sermon, all you can bring to Jesus Christ this morning are your sins. That's the only thing you can bring to God. And he wants you to. Why? Because he paid for those sins on the cross. He died as full payment for the sin that you and I deserve. And he rose again three days later, conquering death, vanquishing the gates of death so that you and I can have eternal life enjoying God forever. Couldn't possibly close this prayer without giving you an opportunity to pray this prayer for the first time. Notice that it took a decision on that of the tax collector. He had to pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and he went home justified. 
If you've never prayed that prayer, I'm going to encourage you to do it right now after me. Are you ready? Every head bowed, every eye closed. This may be the first time. I'm not asking you to bring religion or your past, just your sins, which God knows. And will you pray seven words that will change your world? Lord, that's right. Just say it in your heart to God. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you prayed that prayer... You have been forgiven instantaneously. You've been justified. You have a new standing before God. And we want to rejoice with you. We're going to have a time of invitation. Our pastors are across the front. We'll not hold you long, but we do want to have an opportunity to continue in telling you about that great decision that you just made. Others of you are here, and man, it's, you're a Christian, but you need to pray that prayer too. You need to get right with God. You might need the assurance of your salvation. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Others are here, and you know, we're back to school. We're getting back in the swing of things. I want to encourage you uh, to join our church. You can join Prestonwood Church by just simply walking down to the front. We'll not embarrass anyone. We'll keep you for a short time and give you helpful materials. Christians, I'm going to encourage you across the auditorium just to pray during this time of invitation because the Spirit of God has been moving in people's hearts through this message. I'm going to encourage you to make, make it easy for someone to get around you. Many have prayed. So will you pray and will you sing? And I'm going to invite those of you who prayed that prayer, those of you who'd like to pray with the pastor, those that want to join the church, turn to your neighbor and say, excuse me, and come and join us right now at this altar. Don't wait for the person next to you, behind you, in front of you. Just step out and come right now. Thank you for joining us for worship at Prestonwood. As you heard earlier, if you made a decision for Christ, please text Jesus to 74788. We would love to connect with you and give you these great resources to help you grow in your faith. One is a New Believer's Bible with helpful notes to help you study God's Word. The other is a book by Pastor Jack Graham on the next steps to take as you pursue this new life in Christ. As we close, I'd like to thank you for your faithful giving to support Prestonwood and the work God is doing through our ministries. If you would like to give, text the word GIVE to 74788 or visit prestonwood.org give. It's been a joy worshiping with you, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.